praise you. We acknowledge you as our provider. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I'm supposed to introduce the guest speaker. Because Kurt's not here. And Kurt is in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, chopping wood. And this would be normally where I would find some really pithy, fun way to make fun of him, but I can't because I'm just so stinking jealous of where he's at and what he's getting to do right now. So, um, And I kind of also figure that Kurt uses my name from the stage so much that he probably thought we didn't need an introduction, so he just would he introduce us. So we're going to introduce ourselves. And my lovely wife, Lori, come on up. We've been married almost 18 years, and um, yeah, time flies. Um, I, have no I-, I have no idea yeah. how to use this, hopefully. Um, yep, it's on. I'm going to fix Lori's battery. Oh, thank you. Because she's too cute to have a thing. Thank you. There you go. Aww. This is one of the best things of the last 18 years. Um, Brianna, Ian, Ashley, and Jack. And uh, so uh, we are here to ostensibly speak on marriage, but as you'll find out, this is more than a marriage sermon. Uh, for those of you who happen to notice we weren't here Sunday, we were, we were not out watching the Seahawks game. Um, we were up at Warm Beach doing an Engaged Encounter weekend. This is a weekend away for engaged and pre-engaged couples that we do with a couple other leaders. And uh, we have been doing that kind of thing for close to 16 years now. We have a real heart for helping couples get started off on a good foot. And uh, it really warms our hearts. We've spent some time with Matt and Savannah. And just to hear that depth there, that's not us. But to just see a couple get started off learning those kind of lessons, we love that. We love to be with couples as they make those connections. And, and so our heart is for marriage. And um, what else? Lori is, uh, well, we could, we could spend the whole time talking about Lori, but um, she is mother for, um, husband to me, which. Wife. That's wife. A, I'm the wife to him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, dot, 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 you can, you can finish that thought. Um, and she is homeschooling the, four ki- uh, the three oldest while trying to take care of the two-year-old and the 47-year-old. And um, her day is full. And I have my own business as a general contractor, and so my day is full with that. And uh, so all that being said, Lori will, will get into more of that, but... Um, we would just ask for your grace this morning because this is our first time going through this sermon together and uh, we are praying for God's anointing that it will all work out and actually seem interesting to you. So um, that's who we are. Okay. Can I sit down now? Yes, you can sit down. Okay. Thank you. All right. So welcome to Empowered series. You have to aim that at Adam. At Adam. Okay. 
anywhere, anywhere in the room. Eric told me there's a laser beam too, so I'll use that. So Kurt called about 12 days ago and started the conversation with, well, this might make you feel like jumping off of a tall building. Great way to start a conversation. But um, would you and John consider speaking on marriage next Sunday? Okay. So, yeah, given how busy and full our lives are um, and that I had had a meltdown the week before, I should have felt like jumping off of a tall building in that moment. But oddly enough, I didn't. Um, so, hmm, okay. Great, Kurt, where are we at in Luke? What, what, should we, what passage should we be looking at? And he told me, and I read through it, and I went, okay, I think there might be some marriage stuff here. Um, and then I started digging into it a little bit deeper when we were at Engaged Encounter last weekend. And God started showing me some pretty amazing stuff that um, was beyond just marriage. And he started showing me what I think are some keys that can transform any relationship. So um, we are in Luke 9, 28 to 36 this week, the transfiguration, which seems like a really odd passage to have a relationship sermon on. And yes, this is our third message in our Empowered series on the Transfiguration passage. So around here we say when we're doing devotions or soaps, we want to read until we hit a speed bump and then see what God has for us to reveal to us in that moment. So our third week here, I went, this is more than a speed bump. It's kind of like a big old sinkhole has opened up in the road and we've kind of fallen in. We're stuck. How do, how do we get out of this passage? And as God walked me through the message, I felt like he was saying, yeah, there are ways that we get stuck in relationships. Um, and there is a way out, a way to move our relationships beyond something, beyond where they're at to something utterly new, something that makes us shine. But it's not the way that you think. In, in true God fashion, it's a totally unexpected way. So asking you to join me today, join us on this journey that God took me through this last week. Um, and if you are in a good place, feeling fantastic about relationships, I think God's got some stuff to show you to make those relationships even better. Um, if you are in a tough place, um, maybe some of your close relationships are hard right now. I think he's got some keys to um, restore hope, um, bring the dead back to life, um, and to just show us some new ways to go deeper. So that's where we're headed today. And the lovely Julie Brunk is going to pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, I just um, know that you have anointed John and Lori for this moment. And I thank you, Father, that you have mantled them. And as they walk in that, you will speak. It will be your words, not theirs, Lord. So I ask that today, just each one of us, You've got something for each one of us in relationship that we need to learn. Whether you're married or single, there's something here in relationship that we need to hear. So we're asking that. And I just pray, Father, for Beit Tikva today, for Highland Slobodkin's church. And I just ask God that you would, um, that you would have fruit, because they meet on Saturday, that you'd have fruit that will last all through the week and into eternity. And I thank you for the work they're doing there. I thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Before we go to the next thing, um, I was kind of feeling 
last weekend at Engage Encounter, I felt like God gave us stuff to share. And then last night, I thought, I don't know, I'm not feeling so good about it now. But then worship this morning, and the word that came during worship, totally the sermon. So um, cool how God works, and yeah, I feel, yeah, there's something here, so. Okay, Luke 9. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James. It's not there. What? Not there? Oh, it's not there. Sorry. I'm telling you, this is is our first run-through. I hope you like it. All right, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up to the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed. His clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. They were speaking about his exodus from the world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them. The terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice said, change the page. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So the speed bump that God stopped me on was um, verses 29 to 31. Jesus is praying. He's having this intimate moment, intimate time with the Lord, um, a conversation, and then he changes on the outside. Moses and Elijah join the conversation, and they start to glow, too. Conversation, face-to-face, that makes you glow. What's up with that? So I thought, well, this isn't the first time that Moses has had this kind of experience. Um, Back in Exodus 34, Moses goes up to the mountain, spends 40 days face-to-face with God, and receives the covenant during that time, And as he comes down the mountain, his face glowed because he had spoken to the Lord face to face. And um, as he gets down to the bottom, people notice, and it catches their attention, kind of freaks them out. Um, So what is this transfiguration business that God is doing? I really like words, so I went to the dictionary. What is the definition of transfigure? It says Webster to give a new and typically exalted or spiritual appearance, to transform outwardly and usually for the better. And the trans part of that word is to change or move across, to move beyond, through, or to the other side. So what is it about being in close relationship with the Lord or with other people that can move us beyond our normal state into something different, something that makes us shine? So there's another place in the scriptures that talks about transfiguration. Ephesians 5, 25. And this is in the message. Husbands, go all out 
in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they are already one in marriage. And I did want to just read it briefly in the, in the traditional uh, New King James. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the word, water of, by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And this is, this, this, con- this is something that we refer to when we're talking with soon-to-be uh, young married couples, especially to, to the young man who's wondering what does it mean to be the spiritual leader of the home and, and all of that. And I always, I always like to bring them to the end of things and say, Here is, here's Christ presenting his bride to God, presenting his bride to himself, glorious and beautiful and dazzling. And the encouragement to young men is that someday you'll stand before the Lord with your bride. And will she be, as a result of being married to you, will she be glorious and dazzling? Will she radiate beauty because of the time that she has spent with you? And you know, there is a thing in God's plan in this thing of oneness that causes us physically, outwardly to change, to radiate what's going on in that relationship. And it's not just for the guys. Women, too, you're not off the hook. Ephesians 5 is, in its full context, is a, a mutual admonition for giving to each other. And in Ephesians 5, it's, it's women... Respect your husband, even if he doesn't deserve it, even if you don't think he deserves it, but that you are to respect him and show respect. And here's what happens. In a guy who is, who is admired by his wife and shown respect, it will literally cause him to rise up. It will cause him to open up to the world and to want to go out and be better be better for her, to be better for his family. It will change his outward appearance when she is giving him respect and ad- admiration. Um, so it's a two-way thing. Both have to live sacrificially. Wives, they need, and, and women, need love to shine. And men, we need respect. So sh- even if you're not married, if you're a woman and you show respect to man, that's going to make that man shine more. If you're a man, if you show love to a woman, that's going to make that woman shine more. Right. And so in, in this church, we often hear uh, this next verse. This is sort of our church theme verse. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one, just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us, and the world will believe you sent me. I have 
given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. God's goal ultimately is oneness with us and oneness with each other. And, you know, in marriage, this is where that should be the easiest. And it's interesting that in social science studies, they've determined some things that, interestingly, sort of match up with the way God wants to do things. Uh, people in close relationships have healthier lifestyles. They live longer. They have less depression and anxiety. And in particular, in marriage, and this is just, you know, these are short lists. We could fill pages with statistics on, on how being in a close relationship is better. But in marriage, you have more wealth and economic assets. You have more satisfying sexual relationships than cohabitating or dating couples. Brothers and sisters, can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the world would have you believe that a, a hookup society is better, but reality is very different. And the most satisfying relationship is a married relationship, far and away. But there is a oneness that he wants for all of us, too. Yep. So it's not, you're not left out if you're not married. There is a depth and a oneness that God wants to bring us to. Um, but we have to be honest, right, and say, not all my relationships are intimate. Not all my relationships have that depth of oneness. I don't feel like I'm shining in all my relationships. So um, what is it that God's wanting to do? How does he want to move our relationships from a surface place to an intimate place, from a place that has a lot of pain or difficulty in it to a place that has joy, that we really can shine in our relationships. So as I was thinking about that, that's when God um, popped me back up to verse 28 in our passage, and I saw this about eight days later. Ooh, one more. It's coming. There we are. About eight days later. So this transfiguration happened eight days later. Later than what? What happened right before the transfiguration? Any of us have the sermon still rolling around in our head seven or eight days later? That, that message that sticks with you and kind of informs what's happening the next week? So I said, well, God, what, what did you want rolling around in the heads of the disciples that was still playing into when they experienced and saw the transfiguration? What were they supposed to connect that with? Um, and so he took me back to the previous section, Luke 9, um, and it starts out, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone and his disciples were with him. So this is kind of similar to the transfiguration situation. Um, but then when he gets done with that prayer time, he asked the disciples, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And they gave him these answers, Elijah, John the Baptist. But then he goes on to the next screen. More importantly than who do the crowd say I am, who do you, who do you, my disciples, my close friends, who do you say that I am? And Peter pops up, you're the Messiah. And then he goes on, and it's almost as if he's highlighting and saying, okay, you, you think I'm the Messiah, you have an idea in your head of what the Messiah is. Let me tell you really what it means to be the Messiah. Um, so he says this, Sorry, I don't have it here. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the law. He will be killed, 
Three days later, he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So he's connecting this deep, intimate relationship and transformation to his death. What was it that Jesus and Moses and Elijah were talking about at the transfiguration? His upcoming death. If we go back to that Ephesians passage, what does he say is the way for the husband to make the wife shine and for the wife to make the husband shine? To lay down your life for each other. So the key then to a transfigured relationship, a relationship that's really going to shine, die to myself daily. Yeah. So Jesus, it was a one-time event. He died. He says, it's finished. Done. Don't need to die again. Us, we get to die daily. It's not a big one-time thing. It's the little moments in every relationship all through the day when we choose to live for someone else and not for ourselves. And all those little moments that we have to go to God. Okay, I'm wanting to live for myself. How do I live for somebody else now? So I went, wait a minute, we don't like this whole death thing in our Western society. We, it's an aversion to us to think about dying to ourselves. Our culture is preaching, protect yourself, take care of your own needs, make sure that your needs are met, um, fight for your rights. That's what we hear all the time, and yet God's saying, nope, die. Canon Andrew White was here a couple of weeks ago talking about um, the persecution that our brothers and sisters in Iraq are facing, and he said, when you've lost everything, you only have Jesus. And I was drawn to that phrase, but at the same time, I realized I'm really afraid. I'm really afraid of losing everything, of having to die. God, how do we overcome this fear and this aversion to dying? And this is where the journey he took me on started to get really interesting, because he then said, okay, well, let's go back even a little bit further in Luke. And I'm going to show you how to overcome your fear of dying. And I'm going to show you what I have. So as he started walking me through again. Sorry. Can I just interrupt here for a moment? Because this, this, is, this is the point where in a sermon it can all sound theoretical. And for us this is not theoretical. For us the last 12 years have been a, a slow process of giving up and letting go and having things taken away. And so this isn't just, you know, oh, it sounds good. This is walking through this and our heart for how this works out on a daily basis. Okay. So again, those, the disciples had just had a bunch of experiences with the Lord that should be informing when he says, now I'm telling you it's time to die to yourself. So God walked me through some things in, in Luke 8 and 9 that we'll go through in a minute. But as I went through these different stories, two things stood out to me. And as I considered those, I started to feel more peace. I started to not feel so afraid about dying. And um, the two things were these echoing of Jesus' words, who do you say that I am? And Jesus was showing his disciples who he was and why they could trust him. Um, and when you can trust Jesus, then you can choose to die to yourself. And the second part of it was, if anyone wants to be my follower, 
Um, and so he was showing the disciples, here's the way to die to yourself every day. And I, it's, again, it's not just theory. It's not just out there. I'm actually showing you the little ways that you can do it. So that's where we want to spend the rest of the time this morning is looking back through some of these stories. And in each of those moments, who is Jesus telling us that he is? And what are the things that he's showing us about not the big, I'm dying, but the little moments, the little ways that we can die to ourselves every day. So he took me back and started in Luke 8 for um, the parable of the farmer who's scattering the seeds. So God's going out and scattering some seeds, and it falls on four different kinds of soil. And I felt like Jesus wanted to show us the condition of our hearts and why sometimes it's hard for us to die to ourselves. So the footpath, um, it's, that's a hard surface. Um, it's a place in our hearts when we are trying to protect ourselves. So maybe we have a lot of friends and a lot of activity so that there's traffic. You know, footpath's got a lot of traffic going on it. Um, do we just allow there to be a busyness of things that keeps it all on the surface level as a way to protect ourselves um, and avoid vulnerability? Or sometimes we've actually been trampled down by someone else, um, a traumatic situation, uh, abusive situation in our past that has trampled us down. And so we've got to guard up. We're trying to protect ourselves um, against more pain. And so we don't let the seed in. We don't let intimacy and vulnerability become um, a reality for us. The second soil is the rock. Um, and here, a relationship sprouts, but again, there's a guardedness that's not letting roots go down. And so we avoid a real connection um, so that when things get tough, because every relationship has hard parts, right? We all reach tough places. But when the relationship gets tough, if we don't really have roots, we don't have a strong connection, then we can kind of walk away. We can let that relationship die. Um, and then there's the thorns. Again, a relationship starts growing, but um, if I'm too caught up in my own concerns, if all that's uh, in front of me is my own worries, cares, riches, and, or maybe I'm just going after the pleasures of life, um, those things can choke out my concern for other people. I'm too busy with myself. I don't have time to care about other people. And again, re intimacy is going to wither in that kind of situation, and a relationship won't go to grow to maturity. But the good soil, I thought, well, the only thing different from the good soil is its response. Because in the good soil, those people have experienced pain and difficulty too. Good soil doesn't mean you haven't, it's, an, it's a lack of hard things. It's how you respond to the hard things. And do you respond in a way that keeps you soft? Because fertile soil has been tilled up. It's been broken up. It's had hard stuff, but it's been broken up and it stayed soft um, by allowing Jesus to walk us through those times. And um, fertile soil has dead stuff in it. <laughs> it's decomposed and been transformed to nutrients. And so here again is that idea of death. And Jesus is saying, it's okay to let things die because I can transform that into something that then produces nutrients, that then allows your relationship to grow. And then it produces a harvest that's even bigger than what we started out with. So I felt like he was just showing us these um, just look at where your heart is and I know your heart I know the things that you've struggled with but if you turn to me and trust me with your heart I can turn you into that good soil 
So, um, go ahead and flip to the next one. So we can trust Jesus because he is the word of life and he can speak life to our hearts. No matter what kind of condition we've come from, he can speak life and change our hearts into that good soil. So I can die to myself daily by ceasing to protect myself. I don't have to be guarded in relationships and I can cling to Jesus and allow him to cause new life to spring from death to produce fruit from my pain. One of the other things he showed the disciples was, was what to do in turbulent times and in turbulent relationships. And we, we see the story of Jesus in the boat in the storm and things are not going well and there's darkness all around us and we're being beat up and you know, we don't know what to do. What do you, what do, you do when you're in a relationship that is that difficult and that hard and all you see is the darkness around you. And yet, and we want to run away from it, and yet Jesus is there in the midst of the storm. And he wants us to invite him into that situation. And I know for me that the challenge there is that Jesus was asleep in the boat. And all too often my response is, God, apparently you're not paying attention to the hard place that I'm in. And I would like to wake you up and make you aware of it, sovereign Heavenly Father who created all the world and knows all things. <laughs> so that's my problem. That's what, you know. But Jesus is there, and he's asking us to not defend ourselves in that relationship to trust him, and when we can let go of protecting ourselves and defending ourselves in the midst of a painful relationship, we are able to stop worrying about ourselves, start caring about ourselves, and begin to listen to where the other person is at. And we can ask God then to reveal to us, what's this other person need? Where are they at? How do they need you in the midst of their storm? But we have to let go of worrying about ourselves. And so, in those hard places, he's our peace. And he can shelter our hearts. And in the midst of that turbulent relationship, we can die to ourselves by not worrying about defending ourselves and asking Jesus to be the one who brings peace in that other person. All right. Before we look at the next one, we have a little funny for you. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop they... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't... 
think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Thank you, Hannah Pelly, for sending that to me a while ago. It makes me laugh till I cry every time I see it. So our next story is when Jesus sets a demon-possessed man free. And um, he's out in the tombs, and he's often in chains, and he's kind of crazy. Um, and sometimes when we're in relationships that are tough, we can feel kind of crazy. Um, and it's really easy to say, well, it's, you know, if my circumstance would just change or if the other person would deal with this and that, then we could get some stuff taken care of in our relationship. And sometimes we don't see that big old nail sticking out of our own head. And we don't realize, oh, maybe I have a few issues that I need to deal with. I think that I need this, but, you know, I think I just need you to listen. But maybe you'd feel better if we got that nail out of your head. And Jesus is saying, I can set you free from that stuff. I can release you from that. Um, so let's start with you first. And, and when you're in a tough spot in a relationship, don't look to the other thing. But let me just come to you and let me set you free from whatever it is that's going on inside of you. And sometimes that hurts to have to look at the dirt in our own hearts um, and let Jesus deliver us from our selfishness, from unforgiveness, um, from an addiction that we have that's binding us in some way, whatever that is that, that we're not seeing, um, break us free from those chains. So we can trust Jesus in those moments because he's the redeemer. He is the one that has the power to break the chains, to break the power of sin and death in my life. And so I can die to myself daily by ceasing to try to change others and letting Jesus change me first. Let him get that nail out of my head so that then I'm free to meet the needs of somebody else. Okay, so we're looking at ways to overcome our fear and aversion to dying to ourselves. And another one is those pains that are deep inside of us that have been there for a long time. And Jesus, prior to this transfiguration, transfiguration the disciples got to see Jesus heal a woman who had uh, been bleeding for 20 years 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 lots of years I don't know so, long time whatever it was long time and this was a, a deep and private and painful wound and we all have relationships like that don't we people that we have struggled with for years and years and we don't know how to to heal that deep wound. Um, and it keeps us from, from really being able to draw close and become one. Uh, even, if, even if that person is beautiful and wonderful, the pains that we bring with us into the relationship can often be a hindrance. 
we have dear friends that we work with uh, at Engaged Encounter, and they tell this story that, that she was raised with a bipolar, alcoholic, single mom, and much of her early childhood was just lived in fear and terror and uh, upheaval. And when she finally was able to leave home and move on and eventually meet somebody and get married, she just kind of figured all of that, I'm, I'm going to put that in a box and, and leave it in the past. And the truth of the matter was that it wasn't just put away. It was there. It was a part of their relationship for 20 years. And it wasn't until she, she took that out and opened it up and said, I need to get healed of this pain, that their marriage relationship was actually able to just take a huge leap forward. 20 years of her holding on to that pain privately and then finally bringing it out, working through it, going through the pain of cleansing that wound. And now they're a beautiful couple and they just radiate that beauty and that grace and that love for each other that wasn't there before, wasn't there five, six years ago. So we trust Jesus that he is the healer of our hearts, the healer of those deep, dark pain. We die to ourselves daily by ceasing to hold on to it and reaching out to Jesus and others so that we can move beyond it and really give ourselves freely to each other. All right. Our next story is where Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. And um, Jairus goes to get Jesus, and they're on the way back to his house, and his daughter dies. Jesus didn't make it in time. Wait a minute. I reached out to you, Jesus. I called to you. I asked for your help, and you didn't show up in time. She's dead. Don't we all have times like that where we've pleaded with God, we've asked, we've called out, we need your help, and yet it doesn't seem like he shows up in time. And yet he's saying, don't, don't give up, hold on, have belief in me, trust me, because I can still resurrect the dead. Um, but that's hard sometimes to wait for the Lord when things look bleak in your relationships. John mentioned we've had 12 years of a lot of hard stuff, a, a lot of financial struggle, a lot of giving up of things, and um, we've asked a lot, God, help us understand what we need to do differently to, to get out of some of this financial struggle. It's a real strain on our relationship. It's tough on our family. Um, and there's moments in that where I'll start to feel panicky, and I think uh, this is you know, when, how are we going to cover the mortgage right now, and what can I do? Then I go into, I want to fix it. I want to do it my way, and I step in and try to get in the mix. And Jesus is saying, nope, let go of that. Die to yourself in this moment and choose to listen to me. Um, and that's one I have to deal with a lot <laughs> daily um, sometimes and just say, I'm going to choose to trust you, God, even though I don't always understand your timing. Um, but I'm going to wait for you to show me how do you want to do it differently. Because when I try to do it my way, it usually doesn't work out so great. Um, but when I wait and let God do something different, he transforms. So in this moment, we can see that Jesus says we can trust him. He's the resurrection. 
He can raise the dead to new life, and I can die to myself by ceasing to try to fix things myself and asking Jesus to show me his way to handle the situation and sometimes just wait until he does what he needs to do. How else do we die to ourselves? Live for others. How about... Well... Sorry, let me rephrase that. What keeps us from doing that? Dying to ourselves and living for us. How about our need for stuff? Our provision? What Lori was just talking about. Uh, Jesus sent his disciples out and said, don't take anything with you. You're going to have to trust rely on me, you're going to have to trust and rely on other people. And that can be a pretty scary thing um, when we have to kind of leave our own stuff behind and trust him. Uh, and really, we need the Holy Spirit to do that. He, he is our provider. He's our provider. He can give us everything we need. And the way that we do that the way that we die to ourselves is to cease using our own resources and methods and just trust. Ask Jesus to give us what we need because he promised that he would. All right. The last story we're going to look at is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And this one, he first turns to the disciples and said, 5,000 people here, you feed them wait a minute, we've only got a few fish, a few pieces of bread. How are we supposed to do that? Um, and I think we probably have all been at places in relationships where we, don't, we feel like we don't have enough. We don't have what we need to give to that other person. Um, for kids, homeschooling, working his own business, there's a lot of times we don't have. We're kind of worn out at the end of the day, and we don't always have what we need to give to each other. Um, to keep our relationship, relationship deep and intimate and connect. Um, and Jesus says, that's okay. It's all right that you don't have enough. I'm asking you to, to look and see what you have. But really, in the end, Jesus is the one that does the miracle. So it's, it's not really about us and what we have, but it's are we willing to just open our hands? I'm going to turn to you, Jesus. I'm going to realize, no, I really don't have enough of what I need. Um, and I'm going to let lay down what I do have at your feet, Jesus, and then let you step in to be the one who really does the miracle. Um, so in a sense, it's the getting myself out of the way so that Jesus can then come in um, and do the miracle to change our relationship and to multiply what I don't, when there's not enough, Jesus can make more of what we need. Um, so I can trust Jesus because he is the bread of life. He can um, multiply things miraculously to meet our needs. And the dying to myself in that is to cease to rely on my own resources and to give what I have to Jesus and then just get out of the way and um, watch him do the miracle in the relationship. So back to Canon Andrew White. When you've lost everything, you only have Jesus. And it turns out Jesus is saying, you know what, I'm enough. It's good. I've just shown you all these things that I can do for you, who I am and the ways that I can work in your life. I really am enough. Um, when I know that Jesus is my word of life, when I know he's my peace, my redeemer, my healer, my resurrection, 
my provider, my bread of life, then dying to myself takes on a different meaning. It's not horrible death, it's the end. It's now I'm entrusting myself to Jesus. I'm giving myself to Jesus because he's able to take care of me. I'm not responsible for protecting myself, for guarding myself, for making sure my needs are met. So the death is an entrusting to this Jesus who's just proven himself able and capable and worthy. And when I've given myself to him, then I'm unencumbered and I can go out and serve and love and give other people in relationships because I'm free of myself. Um, and I don't have to be afraid because I've, I've found out who Jesus is in that moment. So I want to just look again at Jesus' words in Luke 9, but this time in the message. It says, he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead, not myself. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself your true self. Jesus is the one who can come in and change us from the inside out and make us shine, and then he can change our relationships. When we lay down ourselves, he can make our relationships shine, and that's attractive. People in the world will notice. God's doing something different in you. Why, why is your relationship different? What is it about what's happening in you that's different? And then we get to say, hey, it's Jesus. And that's pretty cool to be able to point people to Jesus. So Kurt sent out this week his annual winter darkness email. Um, so I thought, we are entering winter, right? And winter is a season of dying. That's when the things around us go dormant. And I think Jesus is saying, it's okay to die in this season. I love you. I've got you covered. You can trust me. And I'm able to change you and to change your relationships from the inside out so that in this season of darkness, you'll shine. We're about to start burning candles for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Let Jesus be the one who's changing you and making your relationship shine in this season of darkness. So we want to leave you with two questions. How is Jesus inviting me to know him more deeply so that I can entrust myself to him? How is Jesus showing me to die to myself so that I can make someone else shine? So let those two things be the things that rattle around in your head this week. And let Jesus show you more of, your, more of himself so that you're not afraid and let him show you what are the little things all through the week that he wants to walk you through so that you can make somebody else shine. Amen. We're going to take communion now. And this is really... You know, as I, as I was thinking about doing communion, I just thought, wow, there really isn't a more perfect message than that for communion. Because the, 
the single greatest way that you can live for others and have success in your marriage, success in your relationships, is to die to yourself. And Jesus says, follow me. And what did he do? He died for us. And I want to take just a moment before we have communion. With a message like this, I can't miss the opportunity to just say to those of you, um, you know, to those of you who've walked with Christ, this is a good reminder. Yeah, I got to let go. I got to, I got to die to myself, take up my cross daily, and follow Jesus. If you don't know the Lord, if this is a new thought to you, then this is a big deal, because it's a, it's a big change. To not living for myself, to living to take care of my needs, but letting go of my life. And so, um, as we pray, as we take communion, if you don't know the Lord, if you're ready to make that step, then just say in your heart to God, just pray out, God, yeah, I say yes to you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to take my life. I want to let it go to you and allow you to come in and give me that peace that I so desperately need. So if you haven't done so already, reach down, uh, grab the communion elements there in front of you, and um, we take the bread, symbolic of the brokenness that Christ took on himself for us, and we, we reach in there and we, we break it just to remember that. And... Um, Be reminded in this moment of how much Christ gave up for us. He asks us to do the same, but he's there with us. So let's take this together. Lord, thank you for the cup. Thank you that you poured out everything. Your very life, your connection with the Father, everything so that we might live. You ask us to die so that we might live. And Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for how you hold us in the storm, how you walk us daily through our fears, through our relationships that are difficult and seem hopeless. And that if we will just let go and trust you, you'll take us. And so we take this, Father, in remembrance of all of that and pray, yes, Lord, we let go, come in, save us, Father, in Jesus' name. Let's take this together.